Okay, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative question of whether and how politics should appear in our preaching this week. This is a special COP26 edition of the podcast and I hope you'll enjoy. As you've probably noticed from either my voice or my face if you're watching on YouTube, I'm not Beth. Um, my name is Molly Pugmire. I'm a COP26 campaign worker for the Methodist Church in Britain. And this week I'm going to be filling in for Beth. Um, COP26, in case you weren't sure, is the United Nations annual climate change conference. And it is happening um, next in Glasgow in the first couple of weeks of November this year. The campaign that I'm working on is called Climate Justice for All, CJ4A for short. Um, and my team is made up of young people from all over the world who are seeking to mobilise the global Methodist family on issues of climate and climate justice in the run up to COP26. So um, each week, Beth is usually joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit. Um, and today is no exception to that. Um, so today I'm really pleased to introduce um, Dave Gregory. Dave, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, great. Hi, Molly. Good to uh, good to be with you. Yeah, um, I am a uh, Baptist minister. I'm based in in Croxley Green. Um, I've been here for about 11 years now, uh, and until recently, I was team leader of the ministry team at Crox Green Baptist Church. But actually, I've just stepped down from that role. I remain on the team, but I'm only half time now, and I spend my other half the time projects uh, around science, faith, and the environment, uh, including coordinating the Baptist Uni Environment Network. Fab. Thanks for that, Dave. And also, Dave is going to be the <clears throat> the new host of Politics from the Pulpit from September. So it's very exciting that we get to hear from you. No, no, then. no. Molly, that's not me. Oh, I thought that was you, Dave. No, no, that's uh, Dave over at uh, Shrewbury Ness Baptist Church. Oh, Dave, mate. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, well, we're very excited for the new host. Um, I'm relieved now. <laughs> so, um, the first question that I wanted to ask you, Dave, this is going so well. Um, so, politics in the pulpit, what does that mean for you yeah. in your context? Well, it certainly doesn't mean um, party politics for me. I, I heard the story of uh, somebody told me the story early on when I came to Croxy Green that, that one morning after, one Sunday morning after an election, uh, one of the deacons was leading prayers and stood up in the church and said he was he gave thanks to God that the right party had been elected. Uh, so that's kind of what I try and steer away from. There are there are some engaged in local politics. I'm glad to say, and um, over over the years, I've had the opportunity to to meet our local MPs and uh, spend time with them one to one, and um, uh, I've had the chance to uh, chair various. Uh, election hostings as well with MPs and candidates. That's that's really good. My, my last, uh, we've got a new MP here since since uh, the last election. And uh, with the Christian Aid group the other week, I had the chance of a Zoom call with him to talk about issues around justice and climate, which, which I found he was quite engaged with, which was really good. But I, I think as a, as a minister, um, I've always wanted 
you know, teaching and preaching on a that I do on a Sunday to connect with whole life, really. So it's not just about the church program. It's not just about our, uh, our internal spirituality and relationships. It has to connect with the issues that we're we're facing in, in the world. So over time, you know, from time to time, I drop in things of wider concern. So we were doing People of Mercy uh, a few weeks ago. That was the theme, trying to understand who we are as church after COVID. And uh, so, I, you know, I spoke about the cut in the overseas age budget to, to 0.7 to 0.5. That, that's not being a People of Mercy. So that and for some of the elections in the last decade, um, We've run a short series just exploring some of the issues, not telling people how they should vote, but but really trying to shape how they should think Christianly as we approach these these things. So uh, I'm I'm always um, I'm always kind of looking at the news these days, more days on my phone than than on TV on the BBC News app, um, just trying to see what's happening uh, in in the world. Yeah, I really like what you said there about not telling people how to vote um but kind of informing people like yeah. kind of helping shape people's idea of um what they should be engaged with because hopefully that ultimately encourages them to either to vote or be engaged with their local representatives um but yeah it's i guess it's really important that as the church we don't proclaim that this is what jesus would have voted if he was here today and that kind of stuff because it's that's often really not that helpful but saying to people jesus would be engaged so we should be um, so yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, um, I think, and to me, Jesus was engaged. You 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 read the Gospels; he was engaged with some of the political issues of the day. But um, what strikes me about Jesus is that he, you know, people wanted to pigeonhole him to join their cause, and he he avoided that. You know, he had his own cause; he had his own purpose, and uh, you know. I think that, that shows you how engaged he was, but not in the way people expected him to be be engaged. So I've never been a person who's wanted to join a political party. Uh, I've never found that attractive. I, I'm not really a campaigner either. Um, I, I've, I've been on some marches around climate, but I'm, I've not really campaigned. Although I was thinking about this. 30 years ago in the 80s, when I was a young Christian, when we were uh, going through a phase where the government were implementing tax and benefit cuts, I did write to the Baptist Times, which was a, a newspaper at the time. I, I wrote a letter saying maybe we should, as Christians, we should take our tax cut, which we were going to benefit from, and, and take it and, and give it to charity to support um, you know, various projects and things like that. They actually published that, that letter in the Baptist Times. So. I think it was the last time I wrote to the Baptist Times like that. Well, yeah, good. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like maybe there is a campaigner in you, Dave. Um, I really like what you said as well about how <clears throat> party party politics can sometimes be really divisive and I think that's something that we see increasingly um, and one of the things that I think of when I think of Jesus and the reading my reading of the Gospels is that if Jesus was anything, he wasn't divisive. And right. so, so often we can kind of, we can engage in political conversation around parties and it can, it can be really divisive and exclusionary for so many people. And that often isn't helpful because Jesus was a man that really valued inclusivity um, and coming together and working together. And 
um, if we just focus on parties when we think about politics, we yeah. miss we miss the ability to think about how we can come together, I guess. Um, but that is really hard for some people as well, because some people are really um, staunchly one political party or another. Um, but I guess trying to be the church as a people who as well are very often have lots of different opinions. We come together over issues of injustice, I would hope. Um, and so that needs to be modelled as well when we think about politics outside of the church building as well as inside. I, I, I think you're right about Jesus not being divisive. And I think there has to be a, a way of, of people working together on issues, even if they disagree on others. I think, I think one of the things I encountered when I was Baptist Union president, um, and I, I kind of mixed with people across political parties, was that um, there was a... a there was at times a, not a friendship there, but a, a sense of camaraderie together, and you found that amongst the Christians as well. You know, there are Christians on both sides of the political spectrum. Yet yeah, they they did have an ability to come together uh, and recognise one another. So I think, I think you're right. Jesus wasn't divisive. He was trying to bring people together, trying to bring people from the margins in uh, as well. But he, he he was challenging, and he was oh, divisive. Yeah. Another way, he was divisive in in challenge challenging as attitudes and, and things that did divide people. So I, I, I think we need to be careful when we say he wasn't divisive. I mean, uh, one of his sayings, wasn't it? He, uh, you know, turned the fathers against the sons and, and things like that. Uh, there was a divisiveness in him. And yet, you know, it was bringing people together to around that vision of God's rightness and, and kingdom and shalom. So. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so one of the next questions I wanted to ask you, Dave, is from your context then of all the things you've sort of shared so far, what would um, you want us to hear yep. is the sort of key justice issues or political events that you think are really important? Um, I think sometimes um, through my, my journey in ministry, some of the key justice things that I'm interested in are kind of been marginalised and um in, in debate really so i do wonder sometimes if if what we are interested in as christians actually is very driven by the media in our culture so we you know our prayers on sunday morning are often shaped by the headlines uh, that we see in, in the news and sometimes it's a struggle to to get away with that so uh you know this week you know the headlines are all about afghanistan the headlines are all about uh well, the vaccine still and COVID and things like that. Um, interestingly, uh, you know, I, I visited Lebanon a few years ago in 2018, and uh, it's a year since they had that devastating explosion there, which, you know, devastated parts of Beirut and have left the country on its knees. And yet that isn't making the headlines, actually. I'm, I'm getting information from from people I was in touch with in Lebanon about that. And, and so, there are lots of issues actually which do slip down the agenda and lose our attention uh, and there are always things and always causes vying for our attention in terms of i mean in terms of croxley where i live um community actually it's a very comfortable community here and um you know some of the key issues i think in, in my context here how do we go forward for the future how do, how do we how do we uh 
how do we provide homes for people in this area? Um, a lot of the homes that are built are really big houses and, and the kids who grow up and the young people who grow up in Croxley have no chance of staying in Croxley, this community that they've known through the years. How, how do we provide that? Uh, and yet at the same time, you know, we're on the edge of London Greenbelt. How do we provide that yet at the same time? Um, protect protect the environment, protect the, the countryside around us. Uh, and so there's huge tensions over, over that in my locality, I think. Um, and because we are such an affluent community, I, I, I've tried to, in my ministry, um, engage the church with some things in wider fields. So we've had, a long, we've had a long-standing historic connection with the Children's Centre in Hoxton in London, one of the most we, we support in various ways. And I think that's really important because it opens people's eyes to a different reality that, you know, 15, 20 miles away, people are living this kind of reality. And we actually have a food bank that operates from the church with the other, with the other churches, linked to a larger food bank in, in the next town, uh, in Rickmansworth. Um, and again, we, we don't have much footfall, but it, it's a statement of uh, that we are engaged with these issues of, of poverty and, and people struggling to put food on the table. So there, there's, there's some of the local things I think we're, we're dealing with. Personally, uh, over the last um, 20 years, I've been interested in the issue of the environment and climate change. That comes out of my professional background as a, as a climate scientist in, in the past. And, and I translate that, that into ministry, part of this engaging with the world. So that's something I'm quite uh, passionate about and engaged with. Um, I think both in terms of climate justice, you know, the impact it's having around people around the world, but also in in thinking how responding to that shapes our, our individual discipleship on a local level, the way we live we live our lives, the way we connect with with the environment in a uh, in an ethical or spiritual way as well. So that's something I'm very passionate about, and I guess that subject has waxed and waned on the on the public agenda. Uh, it's it's come up again in the last uh, few years, um, but I would say between you know the the, the follow on uh, the public's agenda as they struggled with other things, you know, collapsing economies and things like that, and it was quite low on the church's agenda uh, as well. But uh, I'm glad it's coming back up, and uh, this year, especially with the COP climate COP26 conference coming up, we got a chance to to use that as a vehicle to uh, to raise our voice on, on this as Christians and also across society uh, as well. Yeah, wonderful, thank you. Um, I was just wondering as you were speaking there, what has been, in in, in your experience um, as someone who has got a base in kind of climate science and has come into ministry, what has been congregations' responses to you bringing themes of climate justice and climate science and all that kind of stuff into your Kind of Sunday morning preaching, or like the the church life beyond just a Sunday. I'd be really interested to hear what your experience. Um, I think one of my memorable experiences was in a previous church I, I was in when um, I'd I'd um, I'd done an all age service on the environment and climate change. Uh, now, all those services in that churches weren't always appreciated, shall I say, by by the whole church because they didn't think it was deep enough preaching, for example. 
example. And they thought it was rather than serious worship. Um, some people, I, I just saw it as a way to engage in different ways, both families, children, adults across the spectrum. So um, I, I do remember somebody coming up to me after that service and um yeah, we'd done some interesting things like give everybody a little cup with an ice cube in and get them to watch it melt uh, and then bring it forward on the stage and put it around a globe to to show our concern about climate change and things like that. I remember somebody coming up to me on the door and said, why was I bothering with all this? It's just secondary. You should be preaching the gospel. People in this church need to hear the gospel. And uh, uh, that was an interesting reaction. That was an extreme uh, reaction. Um I mean, I thought they were wrong then, and I thought they were wrong now. <laughs> they didn't stop me. Um, other people, uh, other people, kind of smile and nod their heads and say, "That's interesting. Thank you very much." But it didn't really impact their lives. Other people um, get it and and start to make an interest in it. Um, and sometimes that surprises me. So, so, so a few years ago, Jalent. Um, and uh, so I ran that in my church as a background thing through Lent, really. And it didn't seem to be that many people were engaging with it at all. Um, and yet it was only after Lent in the next few months that I picked up people saying to me, oh, yeah, we did this in Living Lent. We gave up buying anything new. We, we thought about our energy usage and our energy supply. And it, and it was across the spectrum, it wasn't everybody in the church, but it was from across the generations that started to engage and think with it. And I was quite, that was interesting that it, it, this, this issue was not without hope that people were starting to engage with it uh, again. So sometimes it's, it's not the big things that you need to think about, it's the little things that, that you need to cling on to, the changes you, you see. I think, I think in the last... Um, I think amongst the Baptists, there's always been a few of us who have had an interest in this. Um, I think that has, over the last year, that it, it's raised up in our, our uh, understanding of what's important in terms of mission. And uh, I mean, last night I was on a call with uh, Baptist Union Environment Network in the Midlands, one of, one of the regional groups that we've managed to set up in the last year. You know, we had about 30 people on the call about how to run a climate Sunday service and what resources are available for that. So that was that's really encouraging to see that growing interest amongst uh, the Baptist community, and I hope that we can, uh, I hope we can encourage that to persist as we move forward beyond COP. Fab, thank you. I think one of the key things that I picked up on when you said that is that we need to be not without hope, um, and trying to keep a hold yeah. of that as we think about the climate is really important, isn't it? Because it's so easy to be incredibly overwhelmed and feel so much anger and despair. Um, but yeah, I think especially as Christians, we need to really try and centre yeah. hope in, in all of these conversations. So we we move forward in a way that we hope we, we, hope we can do better as opposed to kind of wallow yeah. and um, despair in what we yeah. see which is is really easy to do yeah. um, and I there's yeah. a lot of um there's there's some anxiety out there as well and that's why hope's important i definitely remember um was part of some year um 
year six is to year um, no year four to year six in a in a town just north of where we are and uh, i was talking to this group of environmental champions from these primary schools about climate change and the head teacher um one of the head teachers emailed in the organizer the day before and i said what are you going to say to these children because they're already anxious enough and they were worried about us rising you know raising their anxiety level and um, i i was before the summer, a few months ago, I was in a secondary school and I asked the children, the young people in year 10, actually, if they're anxious about climate change. And uh, some stood up and some didn't. And the most memorable question, um, most memorable response to me was, was somebody, a, a young girl who said, uh, I've got things to be anxious about. I, I just can't. Um, and it shows you there's a level of anxiety anyway in, in the younger generations, as well as this, uh, some of them are very about climate change. They're very engaged with the subject and want to do something about it. Um, but I think hope counters that anxiety, actually. We, we need to, and I think the gospel, you know, what Jesus has to say, does with all the negativity that we see, that it is possible for us to, to do something about it and I, th I think that's a message actually the campaigning groups are trying to get across there is still hope there is still hope of reaching 1.5 degrees limiting the warming to 1.5 degrees um, there's certainly a bigger hope with limiting it to two degrees but i think that's a message that we need to keep uh, sharing with people and I, and I think the gospel the christian faith does give us good reason for that hope for the future yeah absolutely absolutely um so i'm just going to move us on to one of our next sections um so as usual our friends at jpit have put together um a small roundup of some of the things to keep um an eye on this week um so they want you to know that their season of creation resources are out and they can be found on the jpit website there are loads of different resources to help people reflect and lead worship and prayer on creation and if your worship service um follows the revised common lectionary you will find that some of the items are based around the readings for each sunday of the season of creation during 2021 other items are undated and appropriate for use at any time. So do check those out. Um, likewise, JPIT's COP26 hub can be found on their website and points towards many of the major church initiatives, resources, prayers and events happening around COP26 and in the run-up. Um, and they also wanted me to mention, obviously, the devastating situation in Afghanistan, the Nationality and Borders Bill, um, which is making it much harder for refugees to come to the UK, the earthquake in Haiti last week, and ongoing wildfires and extreme weather in Europe, America, and all around the world, really. Um, so do keep looking out for news on those. Um, so now that we've thought a little bit about the news, I'm going to invite us to open up our Bibles and to move on to the readings, which today come from um, Song of Solomon, um, chapter 2, verses 8 to 13, James chapter 1, verses 17 to 27, and Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 8, 14 to 15, and 21 to 23. So. Um, Let's just jump right in. Um, Dave, I'm going to start by asking you, 
where would you start um and is there anything in particular that jumps out to you about any of these readings I, I have to say that um being a baptist we're not, we're not that very lectionary driven in our preaching so um actually having to think about lecturers is is quite good actually um gives you a broader 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 scope on things um I also have to confess that I don't think I've ever preached on the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. Sunday morning, I've you know I've heard it. I think I've things and I've used in weddings, but it, it's not to preach on really. So uh, having having to engage with it is is not a challenge, but it's it, you know gives you some fresh <clears throat> fresh ground to to work with. Um, I think when I read this this passage, what came to mind is that um, I think we've been rather more honest with this book in in uh, the last couple of generations. That the traditionally it's all seen as a conversation between Christ and the Church. That's how the Church has, has dealt with material. But I, I, I think more recently we've 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 acknowledged that actually this is a passionate love poem, really. Uh, and, and I don't think we need to shy away from that. I think, I think this kind of emotions, this kind of experience is just part of the breadth of human uh, life. It's who humans are made to be. And that's that's part of how God God has, has made us. Um, <clears throat> but I think when I read it and, and thinking about the context of the climate conference and the environment, I, I think I wanted to come back to that um, conversation between Jesus, God and, and the church in a sense. Um, what, what strikes me as well, and it strikes me more and more as I read the Bible, is how much creation imagery is, mm. is used to express mm. this this conversation in this conversation to express ideas and concepts and ways of life. So you know, this Song of Solomon is just abounding with with um, with this creation uh, imagery, and um, <clears throat> excuse me. And it starts with that that phrase, doesn't it? Listen, my beloved, look. Uh, uh, it, it has this call to be attentive to uh, to what not only what God is saying actually, but actually what God is showing us in the world, showing us in creation. And maybe that's a feature of, of that's an experience people have had in the last months. I think we've become much more aware of creation around us and uh i and i've i've thought this for a long time i've experienced it for a long time as well that as you look actually at creation you know god speaks it's 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 it doesn't just speak about the wonder of creation but just like the parables where jesus used kind of agricultural imagery nature imagery and teaching actually i think god can speak through creation so what strikes me about this passage putting that lens on it um it's almost like God is calling to us through creation to look and be attentive to, uh, you know, his being, his character, his, his way of life, his kingdom. And so that's, that's this passage uh, for me, really. And I haven't, I've been to Scotland recently. I've, I've had a week in Fort William. I've had a week staying in a little bungalow where I could come out in the morning and have my breakfast and look up at Ben Nevis, 
uh, and watch all the little people walk, walking up it, these little dots of people walking up the zigzag path. And we were one of them one day. We walked up Ben Nevis one day. But one morning I, I came into the kitchen and it, it looked uh, into some woodland over an old stone wall. And uh, as I looked that morning into the kitchen, there was the deer and its uh, foal. Just really. And, and, you know, in verse nine, it says, look, uh, my, my love is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, he stands behind our wall, hazing through the window. And, and uh, that, was, that was my experience on a couple of mornings, you know, gazing over the wall. At, uh, this uh, nature, this, this beautiful. And uh, again, it just says, you know, look, listen, be attentive. And, Uh, about our lives, about the world through, through, through creation. So, um, yeah, that, 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 they were some of the things that started to come out as I had engaged and, and started to look at this passage. Really, the call to be attentive to, to creation as we think about the way our, our lives, our planet, other people's lives are changing. Yeah, that was one of the things that I was going to note as well, that, that need to be attentive and to almost just stop and, see yeah. what is around us and appreciate that for what it is and I would also agree with what you said about I guess over the last year we've tend to have done that a little bit more intentionally because life has looked a little bit different um but yeah that being it as well the, those kind of like um images of um nature and um the beloved being like a gazelle or a young stag and kind of like reminding us of the way in which we are also a part of creation and we are not something separate but something that um surrounds us um and that we need to kind of hold more closely and dearly because god holds holds creation closely and dearly and that is obviously if it's important to god it's important to us um and yeah those images of of springtime and um kind of new life as well i think is lovely yeah yeah and i and i think um I mean, going back to what you just said about connecting with, with creation, I think one of the things that struck me in the last uh, six months, I was reading a book on sabbatical earlier in the year called Bible and Ecology by Richard Borkham. And he, yeah. he talks about um, the community of creation uh, and humans being part of the community of creation. And, uh, you know, often as Baptists, we, we, you know, and as Christians, we, you know, the church is the community of God in a sense. Yeah. In a real sense, the body of, of Christ, but I, I've been playing around with the idea. Actually, what happens if 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 creation is the body of Christ, the community of creation? How how, do, how does that change the way we look at our relationship with people and the world uh, around us here? And, and I don't think this passage just speaks about uh, appreciation either, because you know uh, you, you get beautiful calendars, don't you, with lovely scenes on that we have in our kitchens and offices. And, you know that's about appreciating. But this is a call to action as well, because as well as that, listen and look. There's that uh, in verses ten and thirteen. It says, "Arise, come, my darling." There's all, but there's a response to what you're seeing, a journey with, with God. And, um, and that, that's a phrase that comes twice, isn't it? Um, in verse 10 and verse 13, and sandwiched between them is this description of uh, 
of uh, of nature. The winter is past. The rains are gone. Flowers appear on the earth. Like you say, this new life bursting forth in in spring. Uh, and this phrase, "Arise, my darling, come with me." And um, it's it's a vision of of the new life of God uh, creation. Uh, it's uh, it's a vision of abundance there, but is it abundance for our sake or is it just abundance for its own sake? That this is the way the world is. This is what God values. This fruitfulness and uh, and maybe as we were saying earlier, this is a vision of hope in in creation. You know, the transition from winter to spring is a moment of hope, isn't it? That I mean, winter's not dead. It's full of full of life. We're just not so aware of it. Uh, but there is certainly a, a, an eruption of life this this spring. I, I took a series of photographs of my garden this spring, every Friday morning from January to March uh, and onwards. Uh, and you, you, I put it as a photo montage together. You see the barrenness coming towards spring, uh, this abundance of life coming up. I, I think that gives us a vision of, of God's heart for creation, this abundance that he's placing creation which I think he, he revels over for its own sake, but actually provides for us. And maybe there is a call there to us to say we, we need to be aware of, of how we protect this abundance, how we, how we play our part with God in sustaining this abundance. And maybe that's part of this call to action uh, that uh, this passage kind of speaks into this moment for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really like what you said about... Um, it's, it has to be more than just appreciation. And if we appreciate creation without um, a response and without action, then I think we're doing such a disservice as well to creation, because if we can if we can acknowledge its beauty and its value and what it can provide for us, but we do nothing to protect it, when we know that we are detrimentally impacting it on a whole, as a whole, um, that's such a disrespect, isn't it, to, to creation and I guess to the creator as well um so yeah I think it's it's really important for us in the church as well to remember that um that that appreciation has to come with action otherwise um it's it's appreciation in vain isn't it I guess to an extent of it's yes. it's quite I guess arrogant to assume that we just we can appreciate it but we do nothing to protect and um kind of want to see it at its most full and beautiful really yeah yeah and i think that takes you beyond that you know you're asking what response do i get uh you know um some people say well that's very nice but in some ways i think as a preacher i i i get fed up with people saying to me on the door oh, that was, thank you very much very nice this morning yeah i don't want to hit I, it's nice to be a firm like that but i want to i want to Almost when say to him, "What difference did it make?" Yeah. Uh, um, maybe my preaching is not good enough for people to make a difference. I don't know, but um, that—that's at my heart. I want to make a difference to people, and I—and I think it goes beyond appreciation to to some kind of action. And, uh, and yeah, and maybe I mean going going on to the James passage if we can. Um, yeah, that starts with that call to action, doesn't it? You know, do not do not merely listen. You know. Do not merely be attentive, but do what it says to the word. Do what it it it, it says really. Um, I, I was I uh, a week or so back. I sat in on the the press conference to the launch of the um, IPCC Working Group One Climate Science Report, the latest kind of summary of the climate science. And 
uh, and one of the kind of organizers of uh, you know the small service to organize that process um, it's slightly said to camera she said um, I mean this is the sixth report in 30 years and I, I was working at the Hadley Center where the first couple of ones came out and I had friends very engaged with that um, and and she said this 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 lady said uh, you scientists have spoken for 30 years but we have not listened and now climate change is with us and i i found that heartbreaking in some ways because um uh, i mean they talk about this new report suggesting an urgency an increasing urgency to uh, personally i think the urgency was there in the new report uh, but actually Uh, you know, really, action we need to 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 take. Um, Sorry, Jim. I think we lost we lost you slightly after you said the urgency was there on after that first report. I don't want people to miss what you said. No, I was just saying. So I think that to me, you know, James emphasizes this need to respond to do something uh, uh, to do what it says to act practically in our own lives as, as churches and actually as a city to make a difference to the way things are going. Yeah, I also, I, when I was reading the James passage as well, thinking about that um, need to act and respond, I also was struck by some of the things that were said and I think can be really um, usefully applied to our conversations around the climate. It says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And I think, what I found from my work, obviously I do a lot of working with um, young people from all across the world in different countries and their experiences of the climate crisis are vastly different depending on where they live and things like that. And one of the things that I found is so important for church communities, particularly in the global north, especially for us here in Britain, that when we think about the climate crisis and our response to it, we really need to be very quick to listen and very slow to speak because um, I've learned so much from listening to my colleagues and um, other people that we've spoken to over this last year and realised the wisdom of that comes with being, I guess, a climate expert by experience because you've lived the reality and that has to be really central to our action that we that we do listen and we remember that it isn't just about acting to save ourselves in the future, but thinking about the ways in which communities all over the world are being impacted by the climate crisis today. Yeah. And they are trying to tell us that, but we just maybe not want to listen, not no. wanted to listen because for obvious reasons that, we, like we just don't want to engage because we don't want to admit one that there is a problem and two maybe yes. admit that we are very much part of that problem and perpetrators in that i think that, that what you said there about listening you know as it says slow to um, quick to listen slow to speak that kind of goes back to that attentiveness as well doesn't it not only uh, an attentiveness to creation what god's saying to us through creation but an attentiveness is what god is saying to us through people um, because you're right, there are, there, are, there are many people around the world for who climate change is a lived experience. Perspective in, in the location we live in the world. We, we don't see yet the 
we don't necessarily see the heat waves, the forest fires, the floods so dramatically as, as some of our brothers and sisters, uh, uh, people who live in, in the developing worlds in the south, in some of the more marginal places on the earth. Um, they're already living this out. One of the things I've, I've spoken about and wrote about is, is that we've all been traumatized by the COVID experience over the past year. And we have thrown around in our campaigning climate emergency. Um, but to us, actually, in our experience, it didn't feel like an emergency. COVID felt like an emergency. Um, but the climate doesn't feel like an emergency. And yet, for some people in the world, the climate crisis is really just a bigger climate emergency as, as COVID was for us. And I, I think that's, you know, we need to listen to that in, in their lives. But we have been slow to listen. And, and even if we've If we've listened, facing up to the changes it might call upon our lives to make a difference to their life now and in the future. And um, yeah, change is really hard. And um, the, the the things that we do to push you know, the climate to change, to cause the change, they're very ingrained into the way we all live our lives, the way we buy things, we use energy, we use things. And I, it's, it's difficult, actually, to make those practical changes in our lives that will make that longer-term difference uh, in the future. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's I, I totally hear what you said about um, the way in which we've experienced what, I guess, a, a country and a government declares an emergency is over the last year we've seen with COVID that when what it means to really take action when we hear emergency and obviously that's been to varying different degrees over the last 12 yeah. months and further back than that really um but yeah you're so right I've heard a lot of campaigners talk about okay well if we want if if we've asked our governments to declare a climate emergency how, how have they responded in anything more than just saying yeah we agree um and I guess that's that's really important, isn't it? Because so much of yes. what we talk about when we talk about, especially countries like Britain, is how do we make sure that we do more than just say we're going to do things and declare things and yes. say we stand in solidarity with you, we we accept that this has happened, but actually make the really difficult changes to ensure that we're not continuing the mistakes that we've yes. been historically and presently making around the yes. climate. And I guess dignifying people in a way that says, "Okay, you've told us, you've told us your lived experience. We've seen it, and we're going to act as if that really, really matters to us, as opposed to it being a kind of something that we can just yeah. turn our eyes away from." Really, yeah. And I think you've seen that in in the global political uh, sphere as well. Um, so, you know, Paris 2015, yeah, the Paris Accord, um, nations said they would commit to 1.5. Well, they'd commit to two. They'd strive for 1.5 degree limit, their warming to 1.5 degrees, and they'd all submit their plans to reduce their carbon emissions over the years. Um, the, the, the plans that have been submitted to the process is only going to limit the warming to two and a half to three degrees. Now, that means actually when we go into COP26 this year, we really need to see nations ramping up their commitments to um, 
over the next decade, actually, to make a huge cut in their climate emissions, especially the developing, the developed world, to give space for the developing world to make adaptation and and changes. Um, uh, and, and we do, again, we don't need to say it, we, and, and part of the reason we want to do it is that we need to listen to these these voices who are being impacted upon that, but we find that so hard to do. Um, so that needs to be one of that, that's, in some ways that's why there is a value in using the phrase climate emergency, but it does need to be backed up by by action. Uh, and, and I think in our prayers, in our campaigning, in our speaking over the next couple of months, and actually to the years ahead, um, we need to be stressing this need for action. Yes, absolutely. To, to put our actions where our words have been. And, yeah. and, I, and I think you know, that needs to go beyond COP26 because they're going to make their promises there and then we need to hold them to account, to be honest. Uh, we need to make sure they do what they say they're going to do. And actually as individuals, because uh, what struck me about this passage as well, it's a very personal passage. It's written to a community and yet it's very personal language. Anyone, whoever, that's individual language. We too need to make a commitment to walk in step commitments or even faster than the, the corporate commitments the nations are going to make, particularly as, as, as Christians. So. Yes, and something that um, I've found with my work is that it's it's really important that we call upon our political representatives to say, this is what we want you to do. But being able to mirror and match that with, and in our church community, we are going to make these changes because we, val we understand and we appreciate that everyone at all level needs need to make changes and we're going to kind of humbly walk alongside as we make changes and we find things difficult but we want to do that because we yeah. care um and that's that's really significant and that's yeah. why um we're really hoping that communities kind of see the power that they have and the agency that they have to make changes but to also send that really powerful message to leaders that we can change in our small community why can't we do that nationally and globally and that kind of stuff and that that's really significant I, I think at the end of this James the poor and the orphan you know doing right by, by the uh, you know the religion that our father accepts is pure and faultless is, is to look after the orphans and the widows in, in their distress and again that, doesn't that come back to those people who are impacted by climate change and this them and responding to them, uh, you know, matching God's compassion and uh, heart for the poor and we see so much in Jesus' own ministry as well. Yeah. So we're going back to again. <laughs> yeah, it always feels like it comes back around to a lot. <laughs> similar kind of ideas because they're so fundamental when we when we are trying to think about um climate um and things like that yeah. so yeah um i feel but, we should sorry dave sorry what so you broke up then that's one of these you know sorry internet failed what what did you say then molly sorry i i didn't hear what you said at the end there so you go ahead and say what you wanted to say I wonder if we ought to move on to Mark 7, because I think there's a contrast in Mark 7. 
to what you just said. Yeah. Um, talking about, we were talking about action, um, but in some ways, I think Mark sent, says, where, where does action has to come from? Because this is a passage, um, the Pharisees criticize Jesus because the disciples not washing their hands. The disciples are not being COVID secure in their hygiene practices, shall we say, if you want to, you want to kind of give it a modern twist on that. Uh, and, but Jesus said, look, it, it's not about what you do outwardly. Actually, it, you've got to look at, think about where that originates from. What's, what, what's your motivation on the inside? Because it's not what you do outwardly that makes clean. It's actually what flows from you. You know, um, he, he says to the Pharisees, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We can run, but at, but at the heart of it has to come a change on the inside of us and attitudes of, of heart and mind. That the more uh, firmer change is going to come from. Um, and a lot of the things that Jesus talks about in this passage, things like theft, murder, grief, envy, arrogance, they are kind of all wrapped up in some of the causes of of how we got into this position with the climate and the environment. You could speak about all of those things in the way to the environment and creation around us. You know, we've, we've from it without giving back to it. People. It, uh, you know, it's, it's wrapped up around greed and envy and arrogance that we thought we could use creation just as we for us, nature, and you know, a lot of these things need dealing with in our lives individually as corporately. And maybe that's something this passage is, is re-emphasizing when it, when it comes to uh, dealing with these issues around the environment and And again, that's why, I mean, it involves a repentance, a turning uh, uh, around, uh, really. And I guess that's what, uh, at the end of the day, lots of issues of justice need in our lives, a turning around to God's way of, uh, of thinking. I, I, I've been reading a couple of books uh, This thinking: How do we change? How do how do we change um, our mind? How do we change the focus um, of what we think discipleship is is about? Um, how, how do we bring the issues in the environment into the core of our, our discipleship? And I think I'm, I'm sure yet. Um, but I've, I read a novel. A friend of mine who. Um, recommended a book to me when I was on holiday with them a few weeks ago called Oba Story. It's uh, my friend Dave is very into trees. Uh, his, his works in the area of sustainability. Uh, he was very involved in sustainable development goals. And he, he recommended this book called Oba Story by Richard Powers, which from the Pulitzer Prize a few years ago. And it's about um, 
it's about trees, it's about 10 individuals who have connections through trees and uh, how, how they are trying to protect trees in a sense. Some of them are real campaigners, you know, eco-warriors, chaining themselves to the upper branches of redwood trees so they can't be chopped down and things like this. Uh, sadly, going gradually towards ecotism because of the frustration and failure of, of what they've been able to achieve. And, and in some ways, at the end of it, deciding what they've done had achieved nothing. And yet there are other strands in this story which are about more subtler changes to people and more subtle ways of influencing people and book it, it ended rather abruptly too abruptly for me there was no kind of resolution in it and i hate books like that but it does make you think it made me think it i wonder if the author was trying to say well trees are important you know we need to value trees um but at the end of the day what's the most effective way to bring that about is it is it is outward action or is it a change of inner attitude I, I just wondered about that and then earlier in the year on sabbatical um strangely and it wasn't expected when i started my journey at sabbatical i say journey sabbatical because it was during lockdown so it was mainly staying locally walking around uh, where i live and we have a lot of trees here but um trees became quite a feature of uh of my sabbatical and uh, one morning in a prayer week i had uh a thought popped into my mind about a book that somebody had bought me about five or six years ago. Uh, and it was a really strange book for them to buy me because it, this person was normally buying you very Christian books to read. They lend their books to the minister for them to read as well, which sometimes is a blessing and sometimes it's not. Um, and this is a book, a little book by a French author called A Man Who Planted, The Man Who Planted Trees. And it's a very thin book. You can read it in an hour. And God brought this back to mind. Uh, during my sabbatical and I think the most significant um, thing in this book is is what is on page one and I wrote it down because it's a quote let me find a book this is the book the man who planted trees by uh, Jean I, I can't even pronounce that in French Giano or something uh, it's about a shepherd who in his daily life went around planting acorns and other cedar trees and transformed a barren valley over 20 years into a verdant forest, but nobody knew who'd done it. And this is the opening paragraph of the book. For a human character to reveal truly exceptional qualities, one must have the good fortune to be able to observe its performance over many years. If this performance is devoid of all egoism, if it is guiding most unparalleled generosity, if it is absolutely certain that there is no thought of recompense and that in addition, it has left its visible mark upon the earth, then there can be no mistake. This isn't a book by a Christian author. Um, and yet there's something very rich in that description of this shepherd who's the main character in the story that connects, I think, with, with what we would value as Christians, as as the the way God would act on the outside as well, and and so when we're talking about the climate, I, I think as well as all the campaigning, as all the speaking and and writing and and uh, 
encouraging people to engage with it, I think there is a, this necessary um, change of inner attitudes that that actually we need to take a journey with God on as well. And maybe that takes us back to Song of Songs, Song of Solomon again, uh, the call of God through creation in a sense, um, this deeper connection with the world that God has uh, and provide for us, but actually has value on its own. Maybe, maybe that's part of that journey to go at connecting again, that changes on the inside, that enables this this activity, which which is going to need to be sustained over the next decade and beyond to a new way of, of living. Um, maybe that's part of where it, where it starts. Well, on that really, I guess, powerful note and hopefully very inspiring note, we should um, probably wrap up our conversation. Um, so, Dave, I just want to say thank you so much for coming and chatting to me um, this morning for um, our podcast. Um, and also thank to the listeners, thank you so much to everyone who's listened. I hope you've enjoyed um, our conversation and found it inspiring and hopefully thought-provoking and challenging as well. Um, if you did enjoy this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, um, please leave us a review. Um, and yeah, please share the podcast with your friends as well. Um, we would love to hear your thoughts um, on the podcast. And as obviously we've been talking about um, climate and COP26. So this, this might be a podcast that might stay relevant in the run up to COP26 in terms of being able to recommend with friends and things like that. So please do keep sharing it. Um, and so just to finish, um, I'm going to read um, a blessing. So please join me as um, I read this. May we be anointed with God's spirit as we bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Amen.